Welcome, everybody, Yankee Chronicles Podcast. I'm Bobby. I am here with Evan and Rob. Donald is out shopping, so uh, he will not be with us today. He's uh, a goddamn slacker. Just say it, Rob. He's a goddamn slacker. Slacker. Uh, uh, we've been talking a lot about the outfield depth, pitching depth, you know, the starting rotation, the bullpen. We haven't really been focusing too much on the infield and the depth there. Uh one guy in particular that we really haven't given enough uh, talk about here is the awesomeness of Gio Urshela and really what he brings to the infield. Evan, when you think of Urshela, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, how above average he is. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean that he has all the skills and they're above average to what the league is. I know he had a down year last year with his batting average, but the fact that he is pretty solid defensively, he's not the best third baseman in the game, but he's, you know, certainly has quicker feet than Andujar does. And he has a good arm and um, I'm excited to see what he, he can do. Last year would have been his first like, full season where we knew it was his position and we didn't have to deal with, you know, thinking about Andujar and stuff. Um, and it was a little sloppy because of the 60 games. So I, th- I think he's going to come out this year and I, I not expecting 300, but if he hits 275, um, you know, with 15 home runs and, and close to 80 RBIs, I'd be more than happy. Uh, I'm more concerned about his defense. That's what he needs to shine at that's the reason he's our third baseman. So I don't think he's going to fail at that. I think he's going to be fine. So I, I just, I think we should be excited for what Gio can do this year. Yeah. I don't understand why people get the impression. Like he's not, I mean, the guy, every time the balls hit to him, it looks like, it looks like a highlight reel. And he just seems like he doesn't get the respect around the league that the guy really deserves. The guy is an elite third baseman. Well, it's because of advanced analytics. They show that he is at the bottom of the third baseman class. Well, the analytics suck. Right. And I, I just stated he's not the best third baseman in the game. And that's okay. You don't need him to be. We didn't need Scott Brocious to be either. And look at what he was. The numbers that I just gave you are numbers that Scott Brocious put up. So if he can do all that, we have a great third baseman and we should be fine. You know, we have never really, if you look at the history of the Yankees for the most part, We've never had a star third baseman beyond like A-Rod and a few others. You know, we've had on the corners are always well above average players that can handle that position well and fit well in the locker room. And I think that's the case right now with Gio and Voight. If Voight does what he does last year, then you're going to start to call him a star. I still think he's just a very, very good first baseman, probably top 12, and I'm lucky we have him. Yeah, no. See, Voight doesn't come off to me as as you know, one of the the top first basemen. Like you said, you know, he holds his own enough where you have you know there's no issue with him at the base. Right. But look look around the league, and I, I want Rob to answer this. Um, what would you say are the premier positions for stars in the league right now on the offensive side of the game? Hmm. That is a <clears throat> that is a very good question. Probably be like, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm trying to think like it's it's definitely like infielders because you look at all like I want to say shortstop. That's what I was looking for. I, 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 there's so many good shortstops in the league right now, but 
that you can't ignore. There's also some really good outfielders as well. Like there's, there's a lot of superstar players, but I, I guess I'll go with the shortstop position or infield. See, in that's my point. Cause there's two it's, it's shortstop and it's outfield. I mean, th- those are the two premier positions right now. And that's been the case for pretty much the existence of baseball. Um, and, and, and the shortstop used to be very different. You know, it wasn't the home run hitter. It was the best defensive guy in the, in the lineup, in the infield who hit with contact. Yeah. Back to Rochella, I think, you know, one of the other problems is you have, you know, Nolan, uh, Nolan Alonado, you have Matt Chapman. I, I automatically put Rochella in right there with those guys on the, def- on the defensive side. You still can't. Why not? Yeah, those guys are pretty much in a – well, I would say Arenado is, is like that – plateau you want to reach if you're going to you know try to be the best but you know Chapman's definitely right there with them and just like Evan was saying earlier Urshela doesn't have to be that guy I mean you look at what he did before we got him he was just known as a guy who can play decent defense and he come in to be a defensive guy and we got him he turned into this offensive beast and he fits our lineup so well because that's what we need is guys that can get on base and get hits and he's going to play good defense He's an all-around solid player, just like Evan said, above average, which is perfectly fine because he's usually going to be hitting in the bottom third of the order. Six to nine is where you're going to see him, and that's exactly what this lineup needs where he is. And you know you're going to get that plus defense. I don't care what the metrics say because the metrics also said Derek Jeter was a terrible defender, yet the eye test will tell you he wasn't. He just had a couple of flaws in his game. Urshel isn't the perfect third baseman, but he gets the job done, like you said, Bobby. He makes things seem like a highlight reel, like routine plays. He makes them look routine and tough plays. He makes them also look pretty easy at times. So he gets the job done. He fills his role perfectly. And we don't need him to be that elite guy. He's elite for us because, you know, I mean, not because he's elite for us. And that's exactly what we need. We have so much talent in this infield and he just, he burst onto the scene out of nowhere. And it's a great thing. Yeah. I got a question for you, Bobby. God. Um, do you think the concept of a five-tool player is kind of a failed concept at this point? I think the way that the game is played now, it's harder to categorize a player as five-tool. I, I think there's too much fo- – you know, players focus on one skill level too much more than others. So you don't see those all-around players. The, you know, LeMayhew is one of those guys that you look at as a five-tool, you know, that really, you know, you can see he works on every aspect of his game equally. He doesn't just focus on one thing over another over and over again. Yeah. Um, I think that's what's missing in baseball. And I think that that's the downside of the metrics is – there are no, you know, they don't look for five tool players. They look for the the above average in one skill, and that's what they that's what they highlight on the on the uh, the player. Right. the The issue for me with the concept of five tool players is that most fans assume that five tools means that you're elite at each of those tools, and I think that's incorrect. No, no you have to hold your own on those five. 
A lot of people do because look, look at Aaron Hicks, for example. That is a five-tool player. He's above average in every one of those tools. I think Gio could get there too because it's not like he's slow or anything and speed is one of those tools. Aaron Hicks, if he was healthy, ranks perfectly for war right behind Mike Trout as the, as the best war outfielder in the game. And he did that two years in a row when he played. Well, that's why I emphasize with, you know, with the sabermetrics, you know, taking away from the, the, you know, the idea of having a five tool player because nobody uses speed anymore. You don't see stolen bases. Well, speed for me doesn't equate to just stolen bases, speed in general, speed in general. Hicks is fast at getting to the ball in the outfield, which goes yeah. into his range. Okay. So he needs to have that speed for his range. Is he a guy that's going to steal a lot of bases? No. But for me, speed has a concept that, that changes for each player. Look at Jacoby Ellsbury. He was fast as hell. But that's a different type of speed, how he used it as to how Hicks uses it. You know? Uh, good. Yeah, good point. Like Ricky Henderson. That was the fastest motherfucker I've ever seen. Uh, you, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, I think at our, at our age, I think we were, we were lucky to see the players that we did. Yeah. Ricky was so special. Was, yeah. And it's a different, it's a different game now. You know, they're not, yeah. like you said, you know, speed's not going to be used in terms of stolen bases as much as it was in the past. Right. You know, a lot of teams rely on getting the guys over by power instead of just, you know, the little small ball here and there. I, I've always thought that metrics aren't the worst thing in the world. I don't I don't necessarily care for them. I just wish there was some sort of middle ground where you can still have some of the old school way and mix in some of the new school. And I think that something that teams should definitely look at trying to do. We're seeing it here and there. Like I think the Rays are a good example of a team that kind of mixes the old school and the new school. They use metrics so much, they really brought that in, and yet they still have some of those old school tendencies. Right. Yeah, I think the problem, you know, which is why metrics has such a bad rap with, with, you know, fans like us, you know, and there are others, is that nobody's watching the game anymore. Then, you know, they won't give, you know, you brought up Hicks, Evan. You know, they don't look at Hicks as one of the top outfielders. But when you watch with your eyes – He's up there pretty, you know, he should be high on those ranks. Yeah. Look at, you know, let's go back to to when he made that catch in in Minnesota. What other, what other center fielder makes that play? There There are not many you can name that would make that play. No. And you know, what's really interesting to me and my dad used to say this all the time. You don't want a player that has to die for a ball. You want a player that when he dives, he gets it. But you want a player that's so quick that he can get to the ball before he even needs to dive. Yeah. That's Hicks. We've seen Hicks make these amazing plays where he basically runs from, you know, right field area all the way into deep center and catches the ball. And we've seen him do it on the dive and we've seen him do it without it. So I just, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal outfielder. He just has all those issues staying healthy. You know, so people and, don't really get to see what he is because yeah. we saw glimpses of it in uh, Minnesota. And when we traded a bum catcher, John Ryan Murphy, to get him, I was like, what the hell are the twins doing? Are they really this dumb? <laughs> like, it made no sense to me. And 
it's, you could just you could just hear Cashman on the other side of the line on that phone call going, "Wait, you, did you just say yes?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it's interesting to me because we sit here and we give Tampa Bay so much credit for how they develop players and how they you know analyze those players to develop them. We do a really good job too. I mean, seriously, Voight wasn't supposed to be anything special. We nope. got him for nothing, made him special. Gio wasn't supposed to be anything special. We got him for nothing, made him special. Talkman, he was special for a little bit. Hicks, special. Like, the whole list goes on and on and on of players that had, had no value. None of us fans heard of them or even wanted them. Like, I knew who Voight was, but I wanted um, Jose Martinez instead. I thought his power upside was better. Now I'm glad I was wrong. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and see, the, uh, that's the other problem. You know, the fans don't want to be wrong. If they have their player that they like and they don't get them, then, you know, Cashman's a bum. Yeah, you got to admit you, you got to wait it out. When they first put – the first time they put Voight in the lineup, I'm going, what, who the hell is this guy? You know, and – Well, the like, thing that made... I, I, And like you said, we were proven wrong. We didn't know what Voight was. It just took, you know, it took him having an everyday role for him to highlight what he could do. Right. He's, but he, I, I also think it was made easier for us to transition to Voight because of how bad Bird was becoming and how negative that whole situation, the facade of how negative that was really was a cloud over the fans. And when Voight started performing, we switched rather quick because we were like, okay, we don't have to deal with the bullshit anymore. Um, and I used to be one of the biggest uh, bird supporters ever, but then he just, he really, you know, he blew up. He blew up his own spot. You, know, you think if he had stayed healthy, to think what he could have been for this team. Holy well, they rushed him back and he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. And then he had to deal with the competition. If you're not at the best ability that you have, how can you have a competition? It makes no sense. Right. He had no chance because he was injured. And then from that came this negative attitude. And I, I always mock him because of the stupid uh, sweaters and the cat that he had. He'd take all those pictures and we wouldn't see him work out while we saw Voight work his ass off. So it's like, did he give up? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But he was given so many reasons to give up. And there's some people that can't make that transition, you know, like if if it's that, like Gary, for example, if it becomes that negative, he just can't cross that other line into greatness. And now we're seeing, look at how far the separation between what happened in the playoffs with Gary, the miscommunication, him not understanding, to now what we see in spring training. That's like eight months. You you change a lot in eight months. And I think we're seeing that. And, and if that if Greg Bird was given that same opportunity, it might have been different. But he wasn't given eight months; he was given one or two. Yeah, no, I think you know. You see, it, it, we, we've said it before and over and over. You know, Gary just looks he looks like a completely new player. You know, it, it's he's back to. It's almost like he hit reset. You know, from when he first, you know, to the way he when he first came up, and that's not easy to do in baseball, and it's not easy to do in New York, right? Yeah. So this is a this is this is a season that's going to define his career, I think. Yeah, he's got to put it all together this year. 
I feel like Gary is the type of person who needs to feel like he's liked by everyone. You know what I mean? Have you ever yeah. met those type of people? It's like they can't fathom someone not liking them. So to, to be at this level and to know that a majority of Yankees fans viewed him as this wonderful franchise piece and then to see the hate that he got last year, I think it really, really affected him mentally. And like I said, this past eight months really recharged his battery and now he's doing well. And he can see when you do well as a Yankee, we will give you that love that you need. And he needs it back. Uh, I mean, I, I, st- I still think the, the fans treated him like absolute dirt last year. And I, I, I just hate the way that some players get treated. You know, we talked about it before how, you know, as much of a fan of Aaron Judge as I am, it's like if anyone says something bad about Judge, yeah. it, it's a crime. But, you know, Stanton got hated on for no reason, you yeah. know, and, and they I both had they, they both had injury issues in the past. And yeah. it's the same thing with Sanchez. They act like the guy is not trying. They act like the guy isn't angry that he's struggling. They just think that he just goes out there to collect a check and doesn't care what happens. And, you know, nobody knows what goes through somebody else's head. You know, you don't know how – like Evan just said, it could have it could have affected him mentally. You never know if he was looking through social media. He probably wasn't. You know, more than likely he doesn't care. But you know, it could have. Even if you see one or two people like, man, you suck. You shouldn't be doing this. You're going to be like, well, that you know, it's going to affect you in some way. Even if you try to just throw it off to the side, you're going to be like, man, these fans used to love me, and now I'm seeing you know people are you know cursing my name on, you know, cause he, I'm sure he sees replies to his tweets or Instagram posts yeah. and you know stuff like that. That's where the social media age has really changed the game. I'm not saying that he's mentally weak or anything, but you know, it could affect you in well, some it does way weigh on you. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to be mentally weak to be affected by negative negativity. Yeah, no, it, it has to affect you because back 20 years ago, the game was not as personal. The only time you got to, you know, reach Derek Jeter in order to say something to his face was at a game. You know, I met him when I was uh, eight years old. I was sitting behind the dugout and he made the last play at shortstop. It was the easy play where he got it in his glove, tagged the bag. So he's running uh, into the dugout um, with the ball and I'm standing over the dugout screaming and he tosses me the ball. And it was the greatest Yankee moment I've ever had. But like, could you imagine if I was able to then talk to Jeter after the game on Twitter or something like, yeah. you know, it, it, it was a failed concept. Nowadays it's, it's too easy to get access to these people. And if they're, if they're the type of player who has a social media account, of course they're going to see the negative con- comments and stuff. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's what you do going on Twitter. You see all that shit. Yeah. That's where I kind of, uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. That's where I give Pete Alonso a lot of credit going into this season. He deleted his social media accounts during, Good. The, during the baseball season. I wouldn't have one. You know I, I think he's on to something. He's doing it the right way. He knows he had a rough year last year. He's working on a couple of things to get back to form. And he's cutting out the distractions. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I hope he does well. <laughs> yeah. Because you never want to see somebody fail, even if they. Uh, even if they're on a shitty team. I mock the Mets all the time. But if they win in a year that we don't make it, that's a win for New York. We're all New Yorkers. We should care about our city beyond just the team that we love. I'm a baseball fan. I love baseball. So I'm not going to sit here and mock the Mets. 
But if we make it to the World Series against them, I hope we win in fucking four games. I hope we destroy them, and then I get to mock them. It'll be hilarious. But yeah. other than that, yeah, I want the Mets to have success because it's good for the city. It's not just the city. It's good for the sport. When New yeah, York is when it. New York baseball is on, you know, when you have the New York market, you know, Boston, you know, L.A. and Chicago, you know, when the Cubs are doing well, baseball thrives in those markets, not right. just in that region, but overall. Look at the attention yeah. that it got when the Cubs were, were in the World Series. You know, when they fight. That's a good I, point. I was, I took a week off of work and I was locked into every game because yep. I wanted to see it happen. I was on vacation during that World Series and in the hotel room, I was like, I can't, I can't leave right now. I have yeah. to see how this thing yeah. ends. So, yeah, that was a great World Series. And if you think about it, not to take anything away from Tampa, but look at the, the World Series ratings last year. Not, not a lot of people were tuning in, you know, and, and would that have been different had we made it? Yeah, had it would have been different had Houston made it absolutely because people wanted to see, you know, that kind of you know, they wanted to see LA take some revenge. I'm I'm sure, especially with fans in the oh, in the LA stadium. would have destroyed Houston too had they made it. They would have yeah. destroyed them that year. But like lo- looking back, sorry, I just want to throw one thing in before we wrap this up. Would you say that the 2000 World Series was one of the best out of the five we've had? I I'd put it like three, maybe. But for me, it, it was it was special because we were playing against brothers and sisters. You know, I would say, if I had to rank them in order of the three, you know, let's say of the three, I would say '96 was on was top. Number one. Number one, I would put the Subway Series at two. Is because the city was, you know, when you think back uh, of what the city was like a year later, you appreciate the camaraderie in the city. I get that. Okay, I so that's 98 why and ninety eight would be number three because it, you know that season would not have been as special as it was without a title. Yeah, I, I switch them because I think 98 was the greatest season I've ever seen in the history of, of my life. Oh, it is. So for me, I put 98 as two, I put 2000 as three, 99 as four, and then 09 would be fifth. And I really, 09 was great. I'm glad we won, but it was a very, very mediocre playoffs. I mean, it was, there was no, you know, you a lot of times you go into these playoffs and you're like, okay, those are the two teams to beat. This one was a kind of mixed bag that year. What, 98? Two, uh, 2009. Oh, yeah, yeah, 09. Yeah, yeah 09, we, we ran through the Twins, and then we had a little trouble here and there with the Angels. And then it wasn't until we had the Phillies that it was kind of like, well, when they beat us that first game, we got a little, a little nervous. That was, just, that was just Cliff Lee. In yeah. all honesty, it was just yeah. I wasn't lead. too nervous of that because I knew we were going to hit a Pedro. And I was like, why is Pedro still pitching? He's done, guys. <laughs> this is the dumbest mistake the Phillies could do. And they did it. And we destroyed him twice. Yeah. I actually think 98 was my favorite cut, probably because I was so young. And I just remember, like, everything being Yankee or- oriented in the city. Like, you know, as simple as going to Burger King and getting those trading cards. I don't know if anyone yep. remembers those, but I yep. had all of them. And I knew all the players. I knew the lineups and and um, just how good that team was. I mean, I remember 96 very little because I was only four at the time. But 
Yeah, ninety eight right. was in, was insane. That the whole dynasty era was just. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. No. Not for a while. No, because if it has, you know, with the way that the rosters were built between the Dodgers, you know, the Astros, even with the cheating, they still had a lot of talent on that team. They didn't need to cheat. They did. You know, the, the roster of the Yankees, you know, the Washington Nationals, teams had legitimate rosters that really could have made a run, but the game isn't played, you know, played to go on a run anymore. You know, you win your championship, you tear it down, you restart because you, the owners don't want to pay the players. Depends on the team. Well, the Dodgers, actually, they do very well with paying their players. They're not Dodgers, the Washington, Yeah, Washington, definitely. They put out money almost every year. I mean, let's not forget the Strasburg deal came before last year. It came at the yeah. same week that Cole got his deal. So, you know, they they definitely went out and did that. Um it would. How amazing would it be if the Yankees just said "fuck it" and paid six hundred million dollars for fucking Cole and Strasburg? Uh, I would have loved Strasburg on this team, but his injury-prone history is why you had to go after Cole instead of him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even a Scherzer. He'll be a free agent after this year. Yeah. At like thirty-seven. <laughs> and we've wanted him since Detroit. Mm. I, I I wanted when with Detroit. I wanted Scherzer before Verlander. Yeah. Oh, I wanted Scherzer. I so thought Scherzer, Scherzer just seemed like he had a build, you know, to go deep into a career. You know, he's already proven that he can. Yeah. And he, and look at yeah, look where he is now. They both did though. They both did because Verlander's old as shit. What trade was Scherzer involved in? Where he uh, went uh, to Detroit? Was that the? Uh... Oh my god! I'll look it up real quick. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, Arizona, Arizona traded him. I can't remember for who. Wasn't it? A, I think it was a three-team trade, and I can't yeah, remember. Multi, who it was a multi-team trade. I can't. I don't. I'm drawing a blank on the specifics. Yeah, I, hold on. I got it right here. I can't yeah, remember we who. were involved in the trade. Yeah, that's why. That's why it's. Arizona acquired Ian Kennedy and Edwin Jackson. Tigers got uh, Daniel Schlereth, Phil Coke. That's when we got Granderson, right? And we got Granderson. That's right. That worked out for everybody but Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Granderson was great for us. I was was thinking that. I'm like, Granderson held his own. He was a pretty solid Yankee. And then he went to the Mets and, oh, these are the real fans of New York. Yeah, he's they're an screwed, idiot. So. Shut the fuck up. No, they're not. Yeah. No. This is Yankee Chronicles. We'll see you tomorrow. Yep. All right, everybody. <laughs> have a good day. Stay safe. Stay smart. There's no baseball today, so everybody sucks. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good day.